everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys Podcast. Of course, that means Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. And uh, joining us from Boston is Tim Williams. Guys, outstanding uh, week in baseball. We're going to talk a little baseball today, a little football, but outstanding week in baseball. Led by the player of the month in the American League, uh, as far as pitching is concerned, Tampa's own Lance McCullers. What a one-two punch, Joe, with uh, Keiko. I mean, uh, you, you, Joe, that division's over. The AL West is over. Um, what a start by Houston. Um, you know, look, two years ago they looked like a team on the rise. They got off to a terrible start last year. Uh, they closed with a rush. They fell a little short. Joe, with McCullers, Keiko, with the lineup they got, Altuve and Correa and other guys, Springer. Uh, Joe, I, I think McCullers could uh, find himself pitching uh, well into October. It'll be a treat for uh, people in the Bay Area. Well, yeah, it, it really will. And, and here's the thing that, about the Astros that, you know, I'm, I may be committing heresy here, but, uh, you know, we're well into June now, and they're playing over 700 baseball. They're 22 and seven on the road. They have outscored the opposition by 104 runs. Okay, tell me I'm wrong. I'm prepared to, for you to tell me I'm wrong. They are this year's Chicago Cubs. Yeah, that's exactly right. I I would think that um, personally, I, I think that they're better than the Cubs because they've got more balance and more younger players in the key areas to make them go longer. Because really the problem with the Cubs is they didn't have the young pitching. I mean, that's what Houston's got. Houston's got young pitching. Well, and and you mentioned, go ahead. It is a good comparison though, because the Cubs were this team that was built for a purpose that had these young players that were coming up and they were supposed to win pretty close to last year and they peaked at the right time and the Cubs kind of ran away with it right up until the World Series where or the NLCS and the World Series where they had some difficulty but until then they kind of cruised and this Astros team this is exactly what they've been building toward for years they did it in a way that's a little unsettling to certain people because they essentially had to tank to do it to build this team but Every draft pick they made, every chance they took has paid off so far, and they're they're wildly entertaining. They're far ahead of everyone else. Right now, not only do they have a 13-game lead on their division, they have an eight-game lead over the rest of the American League in general. That's, yeah, uh, that's it, startling it, before it, Father's Day. You know, it is. Well, the, and, and it goes back, you know, everything starts with pitching, and we mentioned uh, Keiko and McCullers. Um, I really defy any team right now uh, to come up with a better one-two punch than that. And what matters most in October is pitching. And if they can keep these guys healthy, um, they should be able to be on cruise control in September where you can get guys maybe a little extra rest so they'll be even stronger in October. Uh, Push your chips into the middle of the table for the Astros. They, uh, it's a 
I won't insult anybody's intelligence by just saying they're the real deal, but, uh, you know, they are, they, I don't know how you beat this team at this point. I really don't. I will say for my nationals that the combination of, um, Strasburg and, and Scherzer back to back is not bad. Absolutely not bad. And yeah, but will Strasburg be healthy? Oh yeah, he's. Right. Uh, I don't know if you've watched what he's done. Is he changed his entire mechanics? He no longer pitches. He pitches totally from the stretch. Yeah. And so his uh, he's pitching deeper into games. He's learned to pitch to contact. He's not trying to strike everybody out every time he gets up there. And he's uh, he really has taken a much more um, uh, simplistic, I guess would be the best way of putting it, uh, way of attacking. And his is this this season thus far, and it's you know we still have ways to go, but this season thus far, you can see a whole different. Uh, uh, Strasburg in a mechanical way and in a mental way, and he's a much better pitcher this time around than he's been, you know, he's been, frankly, than he's ever been as far as um, settled into the role of, of how to be a professional baseball pitcher. You know, and, and Rourke is not bad either, Jim. He's not no, Rourke is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love the lineup. Uh, Joe, if you, you know, the Nats lineup, remember when Daniel Murphy, Joe, was with the Mets and people – he had that big postseason. People said, well, he's a flash in the pan. Well, he he's not. Uh, he's a heck of a hitter. And you, you throw Zimmerman, who, who's had a better year than Harper, I mean, and that's saying a lot. Uh, you got Turner, Rendon. Uh, Joe, that, that is a heck of a lineup for the Nats. If, if they get a one relief pitcher maybe in uh, late July, pick somebody up, um, they're going to be tough to beat, Joe. That, that's a heck of a team. It's a heck of a team, but I'll tell you what, they are the baseball equivalent, and I, I know Jim's going to jump down my throat on this, but they are the baseball equivalent of the Washington Capitals. They look great in June and July, and, and they're usually around uh, in late, you know, in, into October for playoffs or contending for a spot, but what have they ever done? What have they ever done? Joe, let and me go with this. No, I'm not going right. to jump down Do your throat. I'm not. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say, now, the, the, the reverse argument of that is what have the Houston Astros ever done? And, you know, you can draw a parallel between what they're doing now and what the great Seattle Mariners team uh, many years ago under Lou Pinella did when they yeah. rampaged through the regular season and then uh, didn't uh, make it out of the playoffs. But, you know, the the – the Nationals are going to have to prove it to me uh, because I, I take the the um, kind of philosophy of I won't get fooled again. If they win and and they're and and they can do this, good on them. But they haven't done it yet, and until they do, I won't believe. Here's here's my argument. Okay, it's not an argument to get what you said at all. It's a, my point is this. Let's start with the Capitals just for a quick second. The Washington Capitals have been in the playoffs nine out of the last 10 years, okay? Mm -hmm. The worst they finished is third. More often than not, they've either won the division that they were in, which included, for a sizable portion of that time, the same division that the Tampa Bay Rays, I'm sorry, Tampa Bay Lightning were in, and the Florida Panthers. And um, then they moved to this new 
situation. They won the President's Cup, uh, I think it's three times now. So for nine out of the last 10 years, they've had 94% capacity in the building. And the last five years, they've had 100% capacity because they've sold out every game. My point is this. I, I would rather have a team, and the Nationals have won more baseball games than any other team in um, in Major League Baseball over the last five years. They've had uh, 87% capacity in their building, and they've sold out, um, I think the percentage is like um, – 65 70% of their games. I would like to have a team that consistently goes to the playoffs and has a chance to win it then sells out for everything and doesn't, you know, makes it to the playoffs or maybe even wins a year. I like the consistency of being there. Uh, I remember last week pointed out 5 years that the Dodgers were there and what after 4 years of of taking them there what it did is it cost um, it cost uh, Don Mattingly his job. Uh, so Don Mattingly, after winning four division titles, ends up you know going to Miami. I you know the success of the Atlanta Braves. I mean, if, uh, to me, I like the fact that you're a successful franchise and you're building a successful franchise. And okay, you know I would love to see. Believe me, I'd love to see the Nationals win a World Championship. But I also enjoy the fact that every year I know that I'm not going to have to worry about rebuilding. Well, I can I, I can kind of play off that and say at the same time that if there is a year where the Nationals should make a splash and go for it, this might be the year. They have what looks like a golden opportunity. Their, their division has folded. The Cubs at times look like the Cubs of last year, and in the last few games have looked like the Cubs of last year, but they've been up and down. Not a lot of teams in contention right now have a whole lot of postseason experience. The Astros don't, the New Yankees don't, the Red Sox went last year, but they got swept by the Indians. Really, the Indians and Cubs are the only teams in this playoff race right now, and it's very, very early to say those words, that are that have good postseason experience so the nationals aren't alone in that regard and that will do them very well and really all they need is more bullpen help their bullpen is a bit of a flaw for them right now and as good as their rotation is their rotation's not going to be able to go nine innings every postseason game so if there is a year for them to go for it this is the year because there will be relievers out on the trade market and they can get them no, Jim, uh, to your point about uh, being in it every year, Joe will back me up on this. Rich McKay used to tell Joe and I, uh, you know, when the Bucks got good in 97 and had their run, mm-hmm. um, he, he said, you know, the object is to be, you know, in, in the playoffs year after year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of those years, if not more, you're going to peak at the right time. Right. As as did the 2002 Bucks, uh, and you're going to win it all. Uh, mm-hmm. If you if you know if you're in it every year like that, you you're going to get yours. So, uh, that I think Tim's right. This uh, could be the year for the Nationals. Uh, I don't think Colorado's got staying power. Arizona, I think, will drop off. Dodgers will win the division, uh, but we know about the Dodgers in October. Uh, 
Yeah, this got to be the next year. Uh, if it takes them making a move, um, you know, six weeks from now, uh, there will be relief pitchers out there. And I'll tell you one of them that might be out there is uh, Mark Melanson. Uh, he just joined the Giants. Giants are, uh, you know, going to finish with 100 losses this year. And if they can get somebody to take Melanson off their hands, uh, it, it could be the Nats, uh, gentlemen. Uh, it's strange the way baseball works. It's funny, Ira, well, that uh, you bring that up. I'm sorry, Joe. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that uh, I was actually thinking of the parallel with the Buccaneers, too. But, Ira, you, you neglected one key to uh, how the Bucks finally got to the Super Bowl was when they made an extraordinarily bold move and fired Tony Dungy and brought in John Gruden. And sometimes for a team like the Nationals, if we can sure. uh, get back to baseball for a second, take that bold move. Now, you say that there's going to be relief pitchers on the market. Maybe. But there's also, as I'm looking at these division standings, uh, I'm looking at the, uh, for instance, the uh, NL Central right now, okay? Four and a half games separate the five teams, okay? The Pirates are six games under 500 in last place and only four and a half games out of first. The, so what happens if one of those teams that you figure might be a seller suddenly gets to, uh, you know, near the trade deadline and goes, well, shoot, we're only a couple games out of this thing. We can't, we can't have a fire sale. We got to keep our guys. Maybe we go get somebody. Um, that the closeness of these division races, I think, will dilute the trade market and maybe make it tougher for a team like the Nationals to make that bold move that we're talking about. Well, to to Ira's point about Melanson, who you know pitched well for the Nationals last season, the um, the reason that Melanson and the Nationals may be um, reunited and why it may be basically a ham sandwich that gets them is that um, for reasons known only to themselves, I, you know, the giants desperately wanted Melanson and they gave him a four year deal. And um, the nationals were willing to give him a a two year deal with an option. And, um, and he didn't want it because he wanted that third year guaranteed and he went in and ended up getting a four-year deal. Is it a three-year deal with an option, Ira, or is it a four-year deal I, I uh, guaranteed? Think it's a four-year, I think it's a four-year deal. Yeah, I think it is, a four-year guaranteed. Um, so, in essence, they, would, they meaning the Giants, would be okay if, <laughs> with, the, with the Nationals to give them a reasonably you know, decent uh, uh, minor league player if they'll bite on taking back the contract. And... Um, that might be, um, you know, Joe, to your point, that might be the way to get a Melanson, whether you're the Nationals or, or whomever is out there um, at this point. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, guys, no question. If the Nationals are going to go for it this, uh, this year is, is uh, you know, this year they've got the stars are aligning and things are, are falling into place for them. So ironically, uh, as you guys know, this is the first year – during spring training in West Palm Beach, that the Astros and the uh, and the Nationals train in that new ballpark down there, which isn't far away. That isn't that far away, guys. From that's right, the Winter White House of Donald Trump. So West Palm Beach, 
is uh, the epicenter of um, of winning uh, at this point in time, at least in 2017. Uh, yeah, but I hear the Russians. I didn't mean to cause a ruckus here. Was, uh, I, I was just going to say, I hear the Russians are controlling uh, the baseball race. That's all oh, I know. Uh, I got a question for, for Tim, uh, Jim. Uh, Go ahead. Tim, uh, you know, the Red Sox haven't been bad. Bogarts had a, had a very nice season. Um, but how would you describe um, maybe the impact of, uh, of of losing Ortiz so far on the Red Sox, uh, maybe on the field, off the field? Do uh, you notice anything about um, Big Poppy not being in the middle of that lineup? I think, if anything, the Red Sox un- overestimated how much power hitting they had. Because you look at their lineup last year and the amount of run production they put out there, and it, was, it would be hard to believe that losing one guy, even someone who produced as much as Ortiz did, would send their offense to a point where, at times, they look like they can't get runners home. Now, they are among the league leaders in hits. They can get people on base, but they're leaving a lot of people on base right now because they're not getting that power hitting and it's partially because Hanley Ramirez and Mookie Betts aren't hitting for the power they were last year. It's also, I think they expected more out of their third base position, and right now Pablo Sandoval has just come back from another injury. Maybe he'll be okay, or maybe they have to make a deal if a third baseman comes available for them. But I, they seem to be finding their footing they're, for all the problems and all the what's wrong with the Red Sox questions we've heard in the first few months of the baseball season, if they win tonight against the Yankees, they'd be tied for the AL East lead in what still looks like the toughest division in baseball. So they're doing pretty well, but they, they did overestimate how much power hitting they had, and I think they're just now starting to adjust to losing Ortiz and to trying to produce runs in other ways instead of the big flashy home run. And those will come around too. They play in a bunch of small ballparks in the AL East. So home runs are inevitable. The, um, you know, it's funny. Um, last night, Joe, you'll get a kick out of this because this was very much Cincinnati Reds baseball that the Nationals played in a series with the Dodgers. Uh, they led off with Trey Turner, got a in infield hit on the first pitch to Goodwin, the who's taken Jason worst place. He stole second. Two pitches later, he stole third and came home on a Bryce Harper fly ball. And that was Sparky Anderson's running game. Um, I remember back in the big red machine days that they would kill you with that speed. Well, the big red machine days, they killed you a lot of different ways. But, yeah, speed was one of them. And, um, and of course, Sparky, um, one of the original, if not the original guy, um, who changed the face of pitching uh, throughout Major League Baseball by the way he used his bullpen. Uh, they right. called him Captain Hook. Uh, nice. Starters hated it, you know. But, uh, you know, the uh, – he he believed in using all of his bullpen and uh, but and now, some of the other up. teams. Yeah, um, you you referred to to the Reds. 
I am flabbergasted, man. We are uh, into June, and I thought this team was going to lose 100 games, you know, by the 1st of September. I really did. And on top of that, they've had three-fifths of their front line starting rotation has, has been hit by serious injuries. You know, mm-hmm. people that they imagine going to – uh, to to war with and and in hopes of being competitive have been on the shelf. They're just now beginning to uh, to get a little bit healthy on that, and they're sitting there three games out of first. Um, they're scoring runs. We saw what Scooter Gannett just did. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I had to do a double take on that. I was just like, Are you serious? And he did this against the Cardinals, and. We've grown accustomed to the Cardinals always being in it right up to the end, but men they don't look very good right now. They uh, that is a that is a mediocre baseball team, and um, you know um, division the the Cubs will win that division, and uh, the wild card's not going to come out of that division. But <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, the Reds are they have dumbfounded me this year. They really have, and uh you know they astros like resurgence you know within a, a couple of years maybe they've upped the time frame on that a little bit i don't know yeah i was gonna say perhaps it was a situation where they they arrived a little before schedule and ira you were gonna say yeah jim that thing you just described uh so eloquently uh about trey turner and uh, how, how they built up their first run that 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 comes out of the, the 1965 playbook of the Los Angeles Dodgers. With well Murray said. Yep. Yeah, that, and, and that's what they did. And they won 2-1. to one. Now, mm-hmm. why, why did those Dodger teams win 2-1 to one and, and, and relegate my Giants to second place, I believe, five years in a row? If you're talking uh, about the 60s, I would have to say Don Drysdale and, and Sandy Koufax. That's, Sandy that's right. That's right. And, and here's the point I want to make. Uh, Sometimes, guys, uh, greatness is right in front of us, and and we don't acknowledge it. Uh, and as a Giant fan, this pains me to say, but facts are facts. For the regular season only. Now, this sounds crazy, Joe. Mm-hmm. You can slap me down. Feel free. Although you don't need permission, nope. Anderson. Uh, <laughs> Count on for it. The re- <laughs> for the regular season only, mm-hmm. Kershaw might be better than Koufax. He might be better. Uh, considering the way teams score runs in today's game and mid-60s, uh, it, it was a pitching uh, era. Um, of course, we all remember 68, you're at a pitcher, and so we were building up to that. Uh, Joe, Kershaw is unbelievable. He walks nobody. He strikes out 12. You can't get any hits off the guy. Now, he does have a lot to prove in October, but Joe... I was going to say, then he loses in October. <laughs> no, the great the greatness of of, Ker, of Clayton Kershaw uh, cannot be disputed at this point. Sure, it can, and here's why: <laughs> because Sandy Koufax, which you referred to, Bob Gibson, we'll go back to that era. They were great in the regular season, and then <clears throat> they proved it in the postseason. That is the ultimate measure of greatness. Yes, Kershaw's amazingly consistent. 
And I know you're trying to split the hair and say you're only talking about regular season, but you can't do that. It has to be accomplished in October. When Kershaw does that, then, you know, I'll consider your argument. But until then, he's just a really fine pitcher until it counts. You know, we left out one guy who, Ira, I can't believe you left him out. Um, someone who I personally, Juan as Marichal. a kid, Juan Marichal. I used to love to watch Juan Marichal. <laughs> he he was my favorite player. He was my favorite player. He was a yep. phenomenal pitcher. I once, um, it was funny when we were kids um, and we would go visit my grandmother in Pennsylvania. My father would make it work so that we would uh, go at a time when the Pirates would be at home so we could see the Dodgers or the Giants uh, play them. And so we got to see a lot of um, of Juan Marichal, a lot of um, Willie McCovey and... Uh, and uh, Bonds and the other Bonds and um, and Willie Mays and it was uh, it's a tr- it was a treat to watch that long large leg kick of Juan Marichal where basically you were looking at his cleats when he threw the ball. <laughs> I, I'm not sure anybody can see it, but one point to Ira to your Kershaw point. Um, I have great respect, obviously. For, for what was done by Sandy Koufax. But remember, Koufax was really only a factor in the big leagues for seven years. He had some injuries early in his career. He was wild early in his career. And his, his window of, of greatness was a lot shorter than, than people with memory seem to have. Uh, those of us old six, enough to have years. watched him. Yeah, yeah, I think it was six six years. But... Yeah, Yo, six, six spectacular years, no question. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm not downgrading him. I'm simply saying the star that was Sandy Koufax was not a decade star of Sandy Koufax. It was a short uh, sample size, and a lot of it because, of, you know, had had we had the meta, you know, the medical situations we now have for pitchers, had we had them in the day when Sandy Koufax was around, he he certainly would have stayed around a lot longer. Well, and that brings up when you're talking about historical comparisons and all-time kind of conversations like this, it brings up that there are so many different ways to slice that and how many ways we can come up with to say that this guy's the best. When when you talk about Koufax, you're obviously talking about those six, seven years where he was invincible. And in a more contemporary situation, that's the same case with Pedro Martinez, where for about six years he was unhittable, and the rest of his career is a little different than that. But you're talking about those guys in terms of their prime. Clayton Kershaw is in his prime right now. And that is... It's hard not to look at what he's doing and have that recency bias of now players are bigger, now players hit the ball a little harder. There are more home runs these days than there there were when... when Sandy Koufax was pitching at the same time, there were fewer really terrible teams because there was less expansion at the time. So there's, there's a lot of stuff to weigh into these historical comparisons, but it's interesting that to weigh these two against each other, you're really taking in a whole bunch of different factors and trying to compare them. So it, it, it's very difficult. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm looking at uh, Sandy Koufax's last four years in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
from 63 to 66. Mm -hmm. um, he won 25, 19, 26, and 27 games. His last, it was 27 and nine his last season. His ERA was never above 2.04 in that time. And the other three years, it was under two. Um, and here's the thing. In uh, three of those four years, he had a minimum of 311 innings pitched. So this, this guy was a workhorse. And yeah. I would argue that if you want to measure it like in dog years, four years <laughs> producing at that level is, right. is like, like a you know, decade. eight or ten years. Yeah, in, in today's game. Do you think right, the mound had any any effect? Because uh, the mound was lower. Mound? Yeah, the 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 mound. They they brought they, um they you know they heightened the mound. What was it? Sixty seven, sixty eight, seventy? What was it? I can't remember when when Major League Baseball. Sixty sixty eight was the unbelievable year of the pitcher. 68. Yeah. So the year after that, they changed the mound, right? Yeah. Yeah. So to make it so that the pitchers yeah, didn't have pitching was killing baseball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They wanted, you know, people, the old chicks love home runs. So uh, that uh, was the year uh, <laughs> McLean, McLean won 31 games that, that, right. that year. And, uh, Lakeland's and own, had, Denny McLean. Yeah, and Gibson had his uh, one point, uh, one two. You know, Joe, back then, the Gibsons, Marischal, Drysdale, Koufax, um, uh, the great pitchers, uh, Jim Maloney, to toss something to, towards mm -hmm. the Red. Yeah, Cincinnati um, Reds pitcher. Uh, they went every fourth day, Jim. Every yep. fourth day, that guy was out there. Uh, three days rest, pitch on the fourth day. Uh, nobody, nobody pitches on the fourth day now. Zero. Mm -hmm. uh, so you get 32 or 33 starts now, like mm -hmm. a Scherzer. Uh, whereas I believe in the Koufax days, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, he would get 40, 41, 42. Well, how many games did he start, Joe? Did you notice? He, um, in the last four years of his career, now he must have been injured a little bit in 64 because his totals were down. Yeah. But he started 40, 43, and 41 games. Okay. All right. So now that's about eight more than uh, and, Jim. And, and in his last two years, he had tw tw uh, out of all those starts, he had 27 complete games in both seasons. 65 and 66. By the way, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my neighbor here, Jim Palmer, was also in that group of Oh, yeah. Yes, he, of was. Pitchers. Um, yes, he was. Um, by the way, Palmer, um, I asked him once uh, when Weaver used to come out to take him out of a game uh, if it was true that he constantly argued about staying in. And he said to me, he says, I can tell you five pitchers and we've pretty much hit on every one of them, that the manager knew that when they came out to take them out of the game, they, you know, it may take people to drag them off the field. <laughs> they were not coming out of the game unless they... Um, there were times he said that uh, what he used to do, what Gibson used to do, and what... Um, oh, who was the other guy he had mentioned? I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, they would turn their back to the manager and basically <laughs> make the manager turn, walk all the way around them to, to uh, get their attention, to talk to them about, you know, bringing them out of the game. And in those days, people, you know, there wasn't that many games on television, but 
so you didn't get to see it, but there wasn't a lot of sending the pitching coach out. And that's what I was talking to, to Palmer about. Palmer said, look, I didn't see the pitching coach, you know, until after the game because it was seldom if I talked to him at all. Uh, so he said, no, the goes, no, um, you know, Earl Weaver never sent the pitching coach out to talk to me. <laughs> it was either he was either going to come out and take me out, or you know, we were going to have a conversation. So he said, there, you know, there were times when Earl would come out and talk to me, and I'd talk my way back into the game. I think Palmer's a little underrated, Jim. He's a little underrated. Uh, uh, look, you know his history better than I do. I, I didn't he used to, didn't he have arm trouble as 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 a youngster? Yeah. Um, and he overcame it. He pitched a long time. You know, Joe, Jim Palmer, uh, he, he belongs in that conversation with, uh, you know, the Catfish Hunters, uh, you know, maybe uh, Seaver. Uh, uh, he, he's, uh, he was a hell of a pitcher. No question about it. I wouldn't I – w- I would dispute your uh, logic that he's underrated. I think he's uh, – you know, got to be in any conversation of, of – all-time great pitchers. He was phenomenal. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, they definitely, um, I, I would put him above catfish and, and pretty much anybody else of that era. One quick final, uh, thing on Palmer talking about taking out, you know, Rick Dempsey, who's a total character and one of the true guys of a uh, very entertaining guy. Hopefully we'll have him on the show soon. Dempsey, um, will tell many stories, but one, he told me that, um, Whenever Earl would come out, he'd look at Dempsey and say, what do you think? And he said, don't get me into this. You're the manager. You make the choice. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to get in between the two of them because, because I, you know, one of the two of them you're going to take off. So he says, I'm not, I'm not going there. But uh, no, those those pitchers, you know, Bob Gibson, is, uh, as you're talking about, uh, a – you know, those guys in the 60s and early 70s, uh, they never wanted to come out of a baseball game ever. And there was no such thing as a pitch count. No, uh, Joe, the, no. the greatest uh, the greatest example, I think, uh, of what Jim's talking about, and it is considered the greatest pitching duel of the modern era, the greatest. Uh, Nineteen sixty-three. Now, who, who else is going to know the date except a, a clown like me? <laughs> July second, nineteen sixty-three. Warren Spahn against. Juan Marichal. Well, I believe I believe the game was at Candlestick. Sixteen innings, one nothing, Giants. Mays, homers in the bottom of the sixteenth. Off Spawn, Marichal goes the distance. Spawn goes the distance. We will never, gentlemen, see anything like that in our lifetime. No. And, and what about Harvey Haddix in 1959 going, uh, what was it, 11 perfect innings? It might, might have been 12. Might have been was 12. It 12? Yeah. 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 Harvey and Haddix, then, yeah. Yeah, 12. And and uh, he he then walked a guy. Or no, he hit a guy. I'm sorry. He hit a guy. And um, and um, the game ended on a, on a home run that was hit by um, Henry Aaron. But when Aaron got to first base, because they couldn't they couldn't tell whether where the ball was at the time, because it was uh, that the old county stadium in Milwaukee was not the greatest lighting situation. He actually passed the guy at first base, so the final score was one nothing. Should have been two nothing, but um, you know 
you know, you know now now of Porcello goes eight innings. Uh, young Tim Williams wants to put him in the in the Hall of Fame. Over a there. quality so start, six innings. Now, what, to put a button on our historical comparisons here, I I have a question for everyone here. So, if you had one start and you could pick anyone from the prime of their career for that one start, who gets the ball? Go ahead, Ira. Go facts. Go facts, okay. Go. Mm. Tough one. Yeah, I'm I'm almost tempted to say in his prime, Dwight Gooden. Oh, that's a good pick. Interesting pick. I'm gonna go with Gibson. And can't, and can't I, argue and against I, you. Can't argue against I, you. I, I say that only because if you go through that period of time. And and the big game winning, I could I could easily side with you, Ira, because you know there's no question that um, that Koufax was was phenomenal, but Gibson was mean. <laughs> that's something that that's something that uh, that um, you know Koufax wasn't. Um, right. That is Gibson right. would put, if you got close to the plate. Gibson had no trouble putting a ball near your ear. Um, so I, I would say Gibson only because he had that edge to him. Uh, I don't know whether that had anything to do with, um, you know, the, he liked that because that helped him to be a better pitcher or what. But you know, Bob uh, Gibson uh, Jim, was, was mean. Jim, yeah. to your point, uh, and this is well before young uh, Mr. Williams was ever born, uh, but Joe will remember this. Uh, I have never seen a more dominant performance. I have not in a big game. Uh, then Gibson game one against the Tigers in, in 68. I think he struck out 17 um, with that wicked, Joe, remember that, that slider against right-handed batters, the stepping in the bucket? Uh, I mean, good hitters like, yeah, unhittable. Willie Horton, you know, what, what's going on? I, I can't touch that ball. I, I still remember that. I think that might have been the game that uh, Jose Feliciano uh, sang the sang National the Anthem. Sang the National That was, you know, that, People don't realize he had the, that pitch was so bad that people in the stands were ducking. I mean, they were they just couldn't believe it. I mean, it's wild. He was, it was mean. He was mean. Okay. He was he was tough. But you know, one you know, let's um, as we get close to finishing here, guys. Um, the city of you know Tampa has been a wonderful, wonderful launching pad for many, many professional ball players. To use Tim's analogy here of, of throwing something out there, give me your one or two best players ever to come out of the Tampa area. And since you guys covered the Rays and, and I didn't, um, were, were, you know, who are the best players to have played in, you know, played baseball from Tampa? And who are the best players to have played baseball in Tampa? On on the professional side, for the Rays, I'll, I'll yield wow. to Henderson. Um, he, he goes way back with Tampa youth baseball. Way back. yeah, me too. But yeah, we'll see. Um, well, I mean, my brother, my brother played against Dwight Gooden in Little League. I'm sure he had great success. <laughs> he beat him twice. Um, oh boy! My brother was a um, left-handed pitcher who beat him twice. In, uh... oh, nice. Well, well, you know, it, 
just in terms of sheer accomplishments, you'd have to say Wade Boggs. He's in the Hall of right. Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but for if he if he could have kept his nose clean, Dwight Gooden would be on that Mount Rushmore of no pun intended of all time great pitchers. No, I'm pun intended. I mean, oh, okay. we, we know what the problem was. And and I I know Dwight. I covered him in high school. I'm the one who told him he was drafted by the Mets. Mm-hmm. And um, you know he's he's not a bad person, but he he got into some stuff. He you know that's a discussion for another day. But at his peak, mm-hmm. he was as good as anybody. A uh, guy that doesn't get talked about much: Gary Sheffield, 500 home run guy. Um, Same Belmont Little I, League team. Same, yeah. Uh, Dwight's nephew, um, Sheffield. I, yeah, I uh, I traditionally vote for Fred McGriff for the Hall of yeah. Fame because I think Fred gets a short shrift. 493 lifetime home runs in a steroid era, and everyone agrees Fred never used steroids. Mm-hmm. So while Bonds and McGuire and all those guys were putting up silly numbers, Fred was very very consistent. Uh, led both leagues in home runs, um, did it with excellence over a long period of time. And uh, so I think, you know, I'd put him in the conversation. But if you you want the best, uh, right now it has to be Wade Boggs. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's that's a – there's a lot of uh, – going all the way back to Steve Garvey. It was um, well, Steve Garvey was a great player um, yeah. for a long time. Um, you know, the guys that, that you don't think of, um, Luis Gonzalez. Um, yeah. Ask, ask uh, the, the folks out at, uh, with the Diamondbacks what they think about him. Sure. All he did was get a series hit off Mariano Rivera. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> drop the mic, done. Yep. Uh, you know, and and a great guy besides. Um, oh gosh, uh, we could do a whole show on on Tampa uh, instead well, Major you, League Baseball. The problem is, in some positions, you're two and three deep. Right. Oh yeah. Um, absolutely. And, you, and now, for, you know, you're just talking about first base. At first base alone, you've got you know you have you know if you want to put Garvey at first, you can. Um, you've got him, you've got McGriff, you've got, uh, Tino Martinez and, um, there's another one. Yeah, absolutely. And Fred, Mc- and who am I forgetting? I, I know I'm forgetting somebody. Well, that's, that's enough right there. Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, well, and, 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 and the beat goes on cause, cause, uh, you know, we were, uh, we were talking about Lance McCullers at mm-hmm. a, the pride of Tampa Catholic high school. Sure. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, Dave, another guy that nobody talks about had a fine major league career, Dave Magadan. Yeah, he's their you know, base. You know, so. And how, just, Howard Johnson. Howard, Howard Johnson. Johnson. Key player uh, for uh, the Mets. Jim, I want to add um, Go ahead, Ira. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just will quickly want to add something to uh, what, what Joe mentioned. Uh, and Joe Joe didn't leave me much meat on the bone here. He mentioned about nine guys. But uh, <laughs> uh, one of the guys he mentioned. Uh, is a guy, and he's right, you know, he's got almost 500 homers. You could not throw a fastball past this guy. You couldn't do it. Uh, and that's Sheffield. And what strikes me about Sheffield 
And I think he's hurt a little bit of his reputation. Uh, you know, I think he played for the Brewers, Joe, in the beginning, and he yeah, he, he came did. up with the Brewers. Yeah, as a he short said a couple. He said a couple of things when he was with the Brewers that came back to hurt him. But Jim, if you remember Sheffield and, and mm-hmm. Tim as a batter, um, the, the guy was very menacing in the batter's box. Yeah. Very, very menacing. You know, you got guys like Dave Parker, Sargil, uh, mm-hmm. McCovey, or whatever. But none of them were more menacing than Gary Sheffield with that bat. So before yeah. you even threw the ball, <laughs> you, you, you were a little apprehensive when that guy yeah. stepped in. Walking you was know, an the option. Thing about, think about Gary Sheffield, and Ira, I'll correct you uh, just a little bit. He didn't uh, have again, almost Henderson? 500 uh, homers. Uh, uh, again? <laughs> he didn't have almost 500 homers. He had 509 homers. Thank but uh, no problem. I'm there for you. Just remember that. But the thing about Gary Sheffield, and, and I like Gary. I've known him a long time. Um, and he was, to me, a guy that, one of those guys, you don't ask him a question if you don't want the answer. Because he's going to tell you just exactly what it is. And he doesn't care, you know, about being uh, controversial or anything. I don't think he went out of his way to be controversial, but if you ask him a question, he is going to give you an answer. And I always respected that about him. And he is uh, making his presence felt in Tampa now in retirement, trying to, uh, in some business ventures. And, uh, you know, I, I like Gary. I've, I've, I've known him, like I said, a long time. And, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly in that short list of great players that ever came out of Tampa. Hey, Ira. One quick thing, and and then I'll jump. Tim wants to jump in here too. I see. Um, you know how you grew up in New York, and there were famous. There were guys who were, you know, uh, who never made it to the big leagues. In in you know maybe that was an NBA, a street guy that the you know he was a famous guy in that neighborhood saying this is the, you know, you want to see a great baseball player. This guy was phenomenal. You're never going to believe what a a player that is. I'm going to throw a name at Joe and ask him if that is from a baseball side, if this guy was that the, the, a a dominant uh, amateur ball player that just for some, whatever reason didn't make it. And that's another guy from that same Belmont area. And that would be Vance Lovelace. Oh, I I dispute that he didn't make it. He didn't make yeah. it on the same level that these other guys did. Yeah. But I uh, that's another guy. I'm uh Vance But you um, see what I'm saying? He was a phenomenal yeah, amateur no, ball player. Yeah, he was. And um just a, a really high quality human being. I would say that about about Vance. And you know what? To me, if you make it to the major leagues, period, you're in the one half of 1% that oh, ever played the game. So, um, you know, but yeah, he, you know, people forecasted greatness for him. It uh, didn't quite reach that level, but uh, he made a lot of money playing baseball. And, and more importantly, uh, he handled himself the right way. Uh, uh you know, I got nothing but nice things to say about him. Oh, he's a good kid. I mean, that was, but I just—he was one of those guys that you know. You looked at him, you thought, yeah. "Man, what a phenomenally 
talented young man he is. Oh, no question about that. And uh, you know what? Um, man, was that a golden era of Tampa baseball or what? Yeah. Every year, we, 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 you know, um, another guy was a first-round pick. Nobody talks about it, uh, but he's a great answer to a trivia question. Uh, is uh, Rich Monteleone, uh, a pitcher out of Tampa Catholic, later uh, became pitching coach, uh, pitched for the Yankees for a while. Um, and Rich was in the Tampa Tribune office with me and Dwight Gooden uh, the day of the baseball draft, the year that they were taken. Mm-hmm. And Rich was, was ironically uh, the more talked about uh, commodity that year. Uh, Dwight kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Uh, we didn't break it down when there wasn't Baseball America there to tell us, you know, every <laughs> everybody out there. And, All the uh, numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Rich was a highly touted prospect, and uh, back then the the draft wasn't televised or anything like that. And it was in the afternoon. It took about fifteen minutes to do it all. And uh, so the old teletype at the Tribune starts spitting out, you know, the uh, first round of the draft. And I'm sitting in there, uh, and Dwight had shown up with a friend named Pee Wee and was wearing cutoff shorts. And uh, Monteleone showed up with an entourage. And uh, so I looked at the first round. I said, well, here it is, guys. Uh, congratulations, Rich. You're, uh, I believe it was the 16th pick in the first round by the Detroit Tigers. And everybody starts going crazy. Hey, congratulations. And I looked over at Dwight and said, hey, Dwight, uh, congratulations. You're the fifth pick in the first round by the New York Mets. <laughs> and there was just utter silence on, uh, in the, in the, uh, on the other corner there. And uh, I remember uh, to this day, Dwight goes, thanks, and starts to walk out of the room. <laughs> and I'm going, no, wait, get, get back here, please. We, we, well, he was we a shy to... kid. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. And, um, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, Rich Monteleone is another one uh, out, of, out of that Tampa uh, connection, I guess you'd put Factory. it. But, Factory. Yeah. Factory. There you go. Tim, real there quick, you, you, were, you wanted to say something? I'm sorry. I, didn't. I just wanted to point out that while we're talking about great baseball players who came out of the Tampa area and as well as guys like Dwight Gooden who certainly showed they had every bit of greatness in them but maybe could have been better if they had done things a little differently. And then there's Jose Fernandez who might not be from Tampa, but went to Alonzo High School in Tampa and played his high school baseball there. And in a way, came out of Tampa and was very much part of that baseball fabric at the time. Yeah, that is just a a tragedy on so many levels. Um, Wasted ability, you know, just, you know, a child now growing up without its father and, and just, uh, unbelievably sad what happened there. And he was just a guy who was had that larger-than-life personality and uh, sigh. <laughs> yeah. It just just makes you sad. Well, real quick, uh, best ball player to play in Tampa for the Rays. Hmm. 
Is it Longoria um, or or is it um, well, Longoria? Who, who are those guys? Yeah, when, when Crawford, uh, Longoria would be I'm close certainly. Um, maybe David Price, Cy Young let's, winner. Let's say you, Mister Coffin. Is it Price? Well, let's not forget Crawford was a heck of a player in, in his day. He was. Was um, you know the the guy was the, the master of the triple, uh, very good defensive player, very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Longoria seems to have settled in, you know, a, as a good to very good player, not great. Um, so I'm going I'm going with Crawford, gentlemen. I'm sticking with mostly just to disagree with Henderson. Okay. Well, you're you're allowed to be wrong. It's okay. <laughs> And I think we said he's out of baseball now, right? Yes. Boy, I wish I could make a case for Carlos Pena right about now. Oh, well. Yeah, you can't. Unfortunately, yeah. He was Uh, great in that 2008 ALCS. You know, he absolutely was. He he had a fine run with the race. Um, But um, I'm just talking about yeah, and why I chose Price was just during that era. He comes in and closes down the Red Sox as a rookie out of the bullpen to win the ALCS and put the Rays in the World Series. He goes on, he wins the Cy Young. He's, you know, um, it's a shame that the Rays didn't have the money to keep him. Um, but um, while he was here, he was as good as there was. All right, guys. Well, tell you what, we're about at that point in time where it be time to wrap it up and and move on with social media and what's uh, your thoughts. Um, all right, tell you what, we'll start with Tim. Give you social media and uh, your thoughts. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports, and all week I've been hearing this narrative that. People have been asking the question, when is the Yankee-Red Sox rivalry going to get back to what it was in the early 2000s? Let me answer that for you right now. It's not. It's not going to happen. The amount of, the confluence of things that led to that being as intense as it was for that five-year stretch, when you really think about all that went into it, it's hard to imagine that happening again all at once, having a player that had been so great for one team end up going to the other and having a career resurgence like Clemens, a two-player comparison that we look at it now in hindsight and it shouldn't have been so heated, but it was at the time between Derek Jeter and Nomar Garciaparra. You had Pedro Martinez just elevating things because that's what Pedro Martinez did. And all these other great players that were involved with it. And then you had the 86-year championship drought and the comeback. You're never going to get that again. It can be a fun rivalry. The entire AL East is a really fun rivalry right now. And don't count any team out of it because they all have bad blood now. And really appreciate what we have now for what it is and stop trying to go back in time because unless you invent a time machine, no, that rivalry is not going to get back to what it was. Mr. Kaufman, what say uh, you? Uh, you can catch me on Twitter, uh, at iKaufman76. Uh, Tim, talking about rivalries, uh, 
there hasn't been a better one uh, in the last hundred years in, in the major leagues than Giants-Dodgers, uh, gentlemen, in, in, until the, the 2017 season. Uh, and the Dodgers still, uh, still working it, still looking like one of the better teams uh, in, in the league. I think we'd all be surprised if they don't make the postseason. Um, and my Giants have fallen off the face of the earth. Um, you heard it here first. Of course, Henderson will disagree. But uh, Bruce Bochy, who has had some heart issues, I think mm-hmm. some of times a little, some of them a little more serious than has been reported. Um, he doesn't look like he's having any fun. I know he's a gamer. Could end up with a, with a plaque in Cooperstown. It wouldn't shock me if uh, Bochy hangs it up uh, at the end of the year. Uh, I follow the Giants closely. They got no prospects. They got no. The minor leagues is uh, is in shambles. The cavalry is not coming, and uh, we'll miss Bochi when he's gone, whenever it is. Uh, I don't think there's a more patient manager uh, in, in any sport. Uh, always looking at the bright side. But uh, guys, when you finish 62 and 100, there ain't a lot to uh, carp about. Uh, there ain't a lot to point to. So keep your eye on Bochi when this season ends. Uh, we we might have seen the last of him. I'd be ashamed. He's a good guy. Go ahead, Joseph. Well, I'm uh, not in a position to argue with Ira uh, about Bochi. Thank you. It's, um, you know, I I tend to want to focus on teams that are in contention. Um, But uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter. Uh, Only me. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at J Henderson Tampa. And, um, what I'm going to do is just wonder, uh, is, I think it's worth uh, looking today to see how many uh, rotisserie baseball owners uh, picked up Scooter Gannett this morning after a four-homer, <laughs> 10 RBI last night. Uh, the um, I, I tend to think that uh, a lot of those teams are, that are – hovering uh, at or maybe just below 500 but are still in the uh, division race will find their level soon enough and I put the Reds uh, in that group but to me one of the uh, a story that kind of parallels uh, what's going on with the Irish Giants and with the Cardinals Um, this is a team that really consistent over over a long period of time and they just don't look very good this year and uh so that's another team i don't think the cavalry's coming for and uh be interesting to me to see uh, how they react to that because uh as we all know they invented baseball in st louis cough cough that's the bitter reds fan in me talking but um the um you know they're gonna have a uh, Every organization has a day of reckoning, and I think it's here for the Cardinals. Well, guys, um, to dovetail off of something that Ira said about Mr. Boshi, um, Dusty Baker's number one lieutenant is Chris Spire, who made his career in San Francisco, and uh, he's done a very nice job as someone who will be a manager, whether it's in Washington or somewhere else down the road here and if indeed mr boshi were to hang it up ira um if you want send me uh i'll text you chris's number he would be someone to uh to pitch to the front office out there 
And to Tim's point, things have changed a little bit in that Yankee-Red Sox rivalry. And here's how it has happened just from my observation. It seems like it's now the damn Red Sox because the Baltimore Orioles have had, are having fights with them. The Yankees are having fights with them. The Rays are having fights with them. I don't think Toronto fights with anyone because they're in Canada. But other than that, um, pretty much everybody in that division no longer dislikes the Yankees. It seems like everybody's getting in beanball wars with the uh, with the Red Sox. So so maybe that's the thing that's changed. It's the damn Red Sox now instead of the damn Yankees. So that brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Remember, if you haven't yet subscribed, it's very simple. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store or Google Play. You can also get it at Blog Talk Radio or at Stitcher. That's right, Stitcher.com, where all the great podcasts reside. So no reason why you shouldn't go out and subscribe to the Sunshine Boys podcast. Well, for Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves, for Tim Williams up in Boston, I'm Jim Williams, your host, and I hope that you have a wonderful weekend and enjoy all the great baseball, whether it's amateur or pro. Take care now. 